John 11, 1 to 54, hear the word of the Lord. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. 
And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim. For there he stayed with his disciples. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Two of the social occasions that most gather people, and often people from afar, are weddings and funerals. And when we go to weddings and funerals, don't we often say, I wish we would see each other other, on other occasions? Especially at funerals, we say that. We would like to see each other on happier occasions. Or even at weddings, we say the same thing. Why do we get together only when somebody gets married or when somebody dies? But the answer to that, in part, is that in those, those occasions are some of the most important things in the life of human beings. When a couple comes together or when somebody passes off the scene. And those are two of the occasions in which we have the the deepest emotions that humans can experience. Exhilarating joy and happiness and deep sorrow and sadness. And it is not without accident that Jesus began His ministry in the Gospel of John by doing a sign in a wedding. And He ends his ministry, his public ministry in the Gospel of John by doing a sign in a funeral. Started with a wedding and he ends here with a funeral. And the, the episode begins with Jesus being far away and getting word of Lazarus being sick. Now we don't know and the text doesn't tell us when exactly Lazarus died during these days when Jesus heard, but somehow along the way, Jesus knew that Lazarus had died, that he was not only sick, and it may be that he had already died by the time the messengers came from the sisters. But it's interesting that it says that because of, because of his love for the family, he stayed put for two more days. It doesn't say in spite of, but it says because of, he stayed for two more days where he was. 
And then he said, after two days, he said, let's go back to Judea. Well, if you remember from last week, what did they want to do the last time he was in Judea? They wanted to stone him. And so the disciples raised an objection. Rabbi, are you sure you want to do that? Because the last time you were there, they wanted to stone you. And then they were hesitant to go back to Judea. There was only one, there was only one Thomas who said, let's go and we'll die with him as well. Now, Jesus explained that they had nothing to fear in Judea or anywhere else. And he uses this image by saying that aren't there 12 hours in the day? And so if you walk in the daylight, you will not stumble. If you walk in the night, you're liable to stumble. But if you walk in the day, you will not stumble. Why? Because you're walking during those 12 daylight hours. Now we have seen this image throughout the Gospel of John. This question of the hour. And he's using this this in a different way. He's talked about his hour. And he's told us a number of times his hour had not yet come. And now he's, he's, he's saying, well, there's still some daylight time. And he's pointing to the fact that night will be coming, but not yet. And so Jesus is not afraid to walk in Judea and tells them not to be either because his time is not yet up. There's still some time to work. Now, Jesus knew that, that Lazarus had died. And first he said this metaphorically, and they didn't get it. And then he told them plainly. He said, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they said, well, that's a good sign, right? Because when you're sick, what is one of the best things you can do, if not the best thing you can do? What is it? Sleep. Sleep. And they said, well, if he has fallen asleep, then he will recover. That's a good thing. And then he told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And then there's a, a jarring, a jarring statement. Jesus says, Lazarus has died and I am glad. And he says, I am glad for your sake that I was not there. Now, why is he glad for the disciples' sake? If we look at the explanation, he says, I'm glad for your sake that I was not there so that you may believe. Verse 15, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, he gets there and in verse 17, he finds that Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. Later in, in Judaism, there was a belief that the soul hovered around the body for three days and was trying to re-enter the body. But after three days, if the soul was not back in the body after three days, then, then it was all over. Now, we don't know if that was a current belief in the time of Jesus, but it seems to be reflected here because there's an emphasis on the fact that he arrived and Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. In other words, he was dead and the soul was no longer there. And so uh, he, uh, he went to near the town of Bethany, about two miles off. And, and this indicates that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were a pretty prominent family because they had a number of people that came, came from Jerusalem to, to be with them. And in the day you would hire professional mourners and you would also have your friends come and mourn. And it was a week-long process of sitting and mourning and sometimes wailing together over the loss of a loved one. But Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went out and she was able to meet him and intercept him. Mary stayed back. Now, Martha said to Jesus, look at verse 21. She said, Lord, if you had 
been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, that's a remarkable statement. Because she is saying, I believe that you are able to prevent death. I believe that you are able to heal the sick. And she she stated her faith once again. And then she said something that's a little bit difficult to know how to take. Because she says in verse 2, But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, some think that she was saying that even at this point, that even though he's dead, that you can do something about it. But later on, it doesn't look like she's expecting that. So she's making a general statement that whatever you ask God, He will do for you. I know that, but it's not clear in the text that it was in her mind that that the possibility of her brother being raised from the dead. And Jesus answered with a statement that almost any Jew could have made. He said in verse 23, Your brother will rise again. That was the majority belief among the Jews. The Pharisees believed that. The Sadducees did not believe that. But the majority were on the side of the Pharisees. They believed in the resurrection of the body. And this sounds at first glance something like a religious thing that you say at a funeral. Uh, You don't know what to say. It's always awkward. And so Jesus made a, a statement, a doctrinal statement, your brother will rise again. And she reaffirmed that. And she said, I know that, my, that He will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And she, she, she added more to the Jewish belief by saying, yes, I know that on the last day He will rise again. I'm in agreement with you, Jesus, about that point. I affirm that point that we have in common. But then Jesus gave another one of His, I am with a predicate statement. We have seen a number of these I am's, sometimes standalones, where He simply says, I am without anything after it. And then we've seen other times when he says, I am, and then he says something. And here he says, I am the resurrection and the life. So this is, this is a, a big step forward. He's not simply saying, I am a Jew, and I believe with most Jews in the resurrection of the body on the last day. He is personalizing the resurrection in himself. He is saying, I am. Not only do I believe that He will rise, but I am personally responsible for that. I am the source of resurrection. I am the source of life. Resurrection is found in me. Life is found in me. I am the resurrection and the life. And then he goes on and explains these. He's not being redundant here. He's not using resurrection and life as the same thing. He's, he's, he's explaining in two different things. Now look at what he says. Verse 26, no, verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Now, what's that saying? Resurrection. So he's saying, I am the resurrection. So if somebody believes in me and dies, that person will live. What is that? Resurrection. But then he goes on in verse 27. No, 26, and says, And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. What is that? That's life. But these two sound, at first glance, to be contradictory, don't they? He says, I'm the resurrection. So, if you believe in me, if you die, you will live again. And then he says, I am the life, and so if you, if you believe in me, you will never die. And we hear those two and we want to say, 
Well, which, which is it? Is it resurrection or is it life? But the way Jesus is using His words here, it is both. Because He's using death in two different ways. And we've seen these two different ways in the Gospel of John. First, He's referring to physical death. He says, I am the resurrection, so if you believe in Me, if you die physically, you will live again. And then He says, but really, if you, if you believe in Me, and you live in Me, in another sense, and in a greater sense, you will never die. He's already said this. He's already said this in chapter 5. If you believe in Him, you will never taste death. Do you remember that? you remember how we, how we saw that, that that indicates that even though you go through the experience of physical death, it will not taste like death for those who believe in Jesus. So these are not contradictory. These are complementary. Even though you die physically, you will live again, and actually you will never die in the sense of eternal destruction. You will never experience that. And your physical death will not taste like death because the sting thereof will have been taken away. Now, she affirmed her faith. In verse 27, she says, Yes, Lord, I believe. And she personalized it too. No longer was she just saying, I'm a Jew and I believe in this doctrine. She's saying, Yes, Lord, I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And then, she called for her sister Mary, who was in the house, in verse 28, and said, the teacher is here and calling for you. And Mary went out, but she couldn't escape notice. People went out with her, and they thought she was going to the tomb to weep, but she really just wanted to go see Jesus. And so, she went to Him, and she found Him, and she fell at His feet, and she said something which it it sounds like they had been rehearsing together that the sisters had been saying to each other, if only, if only Jesus had been here. Because they both spontaneously said the same thing when they saw Jesus. And she said the same thing. She fell at His feet. Lord, if You had been here, verse 32, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, he didn't go into any sort of discussion with Mary like he did with Martha. But it's interesting to note that this is a common human experience, isn't it? When somebody dies, we often go into the realm of if-onlys and what-ifs. Don't we? If somebody, when somebody dies, we, we say, well, if only this had happened. If only the physicians, or if only the person, or if only I. And we start speculating about if-onlys, or, or what if this had happened? And it's interesting to note, and comforting to note, that Jesus doesn't go into these hypothetical speculations. He doesn't, he doesn't enter into that. He rather points to Himself. He says, don't look at these, these possible things that somebody maybe could have perhaps done differently, but look at Me. That's what He says to Martha. And now what He says to Mary, He says... Where did you put the body? But before that, there are two reactions that Jesus has. In verse 33, Jesus looked around at the scene, and the weepers and the wailers and the mourners had caught up to Mary, and there they were. Jesus saw Mary weeping. Jesus saw the Jews weeping. And it says here, He was 
deeply moved. In verse 33, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now that that verb is not a common verb. When it's used to describe horses, it means to snort. Snort. And when it's used to describe a human activity, it almost invariably means to be outraged, to be angry, to be agitated. But if you look at our translations, they tone that down somewhat, and they say, he was deeply moved. Now why? Perhaps because it seems like the wrong thing to do at a funeral. To look around at a funeral and see people weeping and mourning and to get angry and outraged and agitated. That seems to us like an improper reaction. But if it does, that could be because we don't understand death very well. Even though we feel it, we, we also sanitize it and we minimize it. But Jesus, looking around and seeing the devastation that death had caused, Mary weeping, these mourners weeping, He was outraged, apparently, by death. He was angry, apparently, at death itself. Now, He wasn't only outraged, because He said, where have you laid Him? They said, Lord, come and see. And then we have that short, short verse, verse 35. Jesus wept. And so He went from one emotion to another, outraged sorrow. And He did, as the Scripture tells us to do, He wept with those who were weeping. He entered into their sorrow as well. And then some of them rightly concluded as they saw Jesus weeping along with the sisters and the mourners, see how He loved Him. And indeed He did. We already know that. But then some of them reasoned along with the sisters, could not He who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? But then Jesus, it says in verse 38, it's the same verb again. Jesus deeply moved or agitated, or outraged, or angry, came to the tomb. It was a cave, which was the custom there, horizontal cave or a vertical cave uh, with a stone laid against it. Jesus said to take away the stone. And here, Martha. Martha puts up an objection and says, it's four days and there will already be an odor from decomposition. So it looks like Martha wasn't really expecting Jesus to intervene at this point. And then Jesus refers to a part of the conversation we don't have, but He says, Did not I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus prayed. Why was Jesus glad that His disciples were not there? So that they would believe. And now He prays. And He prays to the Father, but He prays knowing that those who are around will hear His prayer. And He prays, and He prays in such a way that He indicates the purpose of what He's about to do. I knew that you always hear me, verse 42, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe. He wants the disciples to believe. He wants all of those around Him to believe. And then, very simply, He commands the dead man to come out. 
He says, Lazarus, come here. And lo and behold, Lazarus came out. And he still had his grave clothes on. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. So the, 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 rising, the raising of Lazarus takes up just a, a couple verses here. It takes up just a couple verses. And then we see the reaction. And the reaction is the reaction we've seen, the, the dual reaction we've seen all through the Gospel of John. Some people believed. It says many believe. Verse 45, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what He did, believed in Him. But some went to report to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So, this has gotten completely out of hand. It's, it's bad enough that he healed a man who had been born blind. And that was bad enough for the leaders. And they couldn't deny it, even as much as they tried to disprove it. And they had to admit it. But now he's, he's, he's gone beyond that. He has raised somebody from the dead. And so, they have a hasty meeting. The chief priests, the Pharisees, they gather. And it says... What are we to do? But actually, it's more desperate than that. It says, what are we doing? What are we doing? And then they admitted that He was doing many signs. For this man performs many signs. They can no longer deny it. Many eyewitnesses. And if we let Him go on like this, everyone will believe in Him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place, which is the temple, and our nation. But then one of them, Caiaphas, the chief priest that year, and he was actually chief priest for 19 years. It was a political appointment by the Romans in these days. So he was a political functionary as well as a a religious one. And he was the high priest that year, and he said, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand, verse 50, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Now this is a master stroke on the part of the, the, uh, the Apostle John who wrote this. He loves to do this sort of thing. He loves to put truth into the mouths of Jesus' opponents. And they speak truth, but they don't know how much truth they're speaking. And usually, usually John just passes it over to leave the reader saying, what, what, did, he, what did he mean by that? Or, did he know how, how that would come to play later on in, in Jesus' life and ministry? But John doesn't want us to have any doubts about it this time. So he explains to us. Verse 51, He did not say this of His own accord, but being high priest that year, He prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. This is sacrificial language. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So Caiaphas, of all people, is the one who explained the meaning of the death of Christ. What is the meaning of the death of Christ? It is dying for. It is dying instead of. It is dying in place of. It is dying so that others won't have to die. It is sacrificing self so that the people won't be sacrificed. He explained it more succinctly than anyone else outside of Jesus Himself. And so, verse 53, here's the conclusion. From that day on, 
they made plans to put him to death. You see, there was nothing else in their own minds that they could do. They couldn't sacrifice the nation for one man. They said, no, we're going to sacrifice one man to save the nation. Now, the irony of that is, they sacrificed that one man, and not many years later, the whole nation was sacrificed anyway. But, those who believe in Him, He died for them, so that they would not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 54 says, Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. Biding his time, but soon, in fact, next week, he's going to burst back onto the scene in the most public way possible. Calling their hand and forcing them to execute their plan. Unfortunately, you have probably heard the word dam, D-A-M-N, and particularly the expression God damn in action movies or in arguments where it is used in anger and uh, in profanity and in levity. Or perhaps you've heard it used as simply an exclamation when somebody hits his thumb with the hammer and cries out, God damn it. Although it's not clear what the it is there. But, but this, unfortunately, has been, has been trivialized. And if we think about these words, damn means condemn, and we talk about it as cursing, and this really is cursing. This is literally cursing to say, God damn it, or God damn you, is to say, God, would you condemn this? Would you condemn him? Would you condemn her? And so this is a very solemn and serious prayer that has been trivialized in our popular culture. I say that because I want to tell you about a reaction I had to death. I was in Monterey, Mexico. We lived in Guadalajara. I was up there for the inauguration of a building because I was the country director for our mission. And I was called out of the meetings and I had a phone call. And I don't even remember who it was on the other end of the line. I don't remember. But the person on the other end of the line said, Karen died. Now, Karen was the wife of one of my friends and colleagues, another church planter and pastor in Guadalajara. And Karen had been battling cancer for a number of years. And she had made a valiant effort, but she lost her battle. And she left behind an adoring husband, a church that loved her dearly and depended on her music and her leadership in the women's ministry. She left behind four children and she left behind several 
grandchildren, and she left behind many friends. And she was almost 60. And I hung up the phone, and I was just sick of it. I was sick of this death thing coming in to our lives and, and ripping people away and, and, and leaving holes in our hearts and in our lives. And I, I sat back in the chair and I, I uttered one of the most sincere prayers I've ever uttered in my entire life. And I simply said this, God damn Death. Now, I explained to you what that means. I was using it in all of its theological rigor. I wasn't falling into uncharacteristic profanity. I was calling out to God and saying, God, deal with this. This should not be. This is not right. This is not good. God, damn this once and forever. And there was a friend of mine, another pastor... And he was standing there with me, and he heard my prayer, and he came up and he said very gently, He has, and He will. He has, and He will. God damn death. Jesus said, I am the resurrection, and the life. Everyone who believes in Me, even if He dies, yet shall He live. And everyone who lives and believes in Me will never die. He has, and He will. And now we go to the question that Jesus asked Martha, because it's a good question for all of us. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Our God, we sometimes think about the fact that we're mortal and we detest it. We feel our bodies decaying and we lose friends and loved ones and it always seems too early. It always seems not right and it isn't. But we thank You that You did something about it. That You damned death forever and You will damn it forever. We thank You for Jesus, the resurrection and the life who died and rose again to give life to all who believe. And I pray for all of us, O oh God, that You would give us faith to believe in Jesus, the resurrection, and the life. So even if we die physically, we will never really die. But have that hope in this life and in the life to come of the resurrection from the dead and life eternal with You. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.